Right on. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to uh, the book of Zechariah. That's the second last book in the Old Testament. So if you get to the Gospel of Matthew, you're just flipping back a little bit. And uh, we're going to cover lots of ground this morning. Somebody said to me this week, boy, you said we're going to go through Zechariah in six weeks and you just did six verses on Sunday. I said, oh, we're going to pick up the pace. So this morning we pick up the pace, okay? So right on. Hey, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's pray as we come to God's word. Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity that we have uh, to gather around your word, Lord. And we just pray that this would be a time when your spirit teaches us that, that we get big ideas from your kingdom, Lord. That we get a sense of how you're at work in this world, how you're at work in our lives, how you were at work in history, how you're at work currently and what you're going to do in the future. And uh, Lord, we just, we just thank you for this text for the things that your spirit wants to say to us. And I pray, Lord, that you would just um, open our hearts to, to see you, Lord, to hear you. I pray, God, that you would find in us just good soil. And so we, we just ask now, Lord, that you'd prepare our hearts for the seed of your word and that your spirit would bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Right on. Well, this morning what we're going to do is... Um, I was kind of thinking about this. It's almost like, have you ever flown into Vancouver and got that bird's eye view of the city? And it's like, oh, okay, I get that sense. Okay, there's the mountains. There's Richmond down over there. Oh, okay, there's that, you know, the highway, whatever. The, this morning, we're going to zoom out now in Zachariah and we're going to try and get that big bird's eye, eye view. And so let me, let me give you a little bit of a reminder if you were here last week or if you weren't here last week, just... Just where we introduce this story of Zechariah and where he comes in on the scene, the kind of the historical conditions were this, is that uh, the exiles had returned after 70 years in, in Babylon in captivity. The city of Jerusalem had been destroyed, as we know, the, the temple had been destroyed. And about 42,000 exiles had come back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the the city and after they had laid the foundations to the temple with much weeping and joy uh, the work had really ceased to a halt due to the opposition and some of the things that they were facing and so Haggai appeared on the scene the prophet Haggai him and Zechariah are, are contemporaries and Haggai said it's not time to build your houses it's time to build the house of the Lord after 15 years of the work ceasing and so Haggai began to speak to the people and then Zechariah appeared on the scene and he began to call them and say, you, you've made a physical return to the land, a physical return to the city of Jerusalem, but you need to make a spiritual return in your hearts to the Lord. And so Zechariah preached this message, thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. He says, you know, remember, repent, return uh, to the Lord. And, and he just calls the people, to, to, he, we're going to see this again, the Lord of hosts, this title, the Lord of hosts. Just declare to the people that our God is a God who is sovereign over the entire universe and over all of, all of history and all that's, that's happening. And so uh, verse 6 tells us in Zechariah chapter 1 uh, at the end that... Uh, that the people return to the Lord. And so we read, we read here in verse 7, we're going to pick it up, uh, what happened three months later. It says this, three months after this first word from Zechariah, verse 7, on the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shebat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Idu, saying, I saw in the night, so here's the context. It's nighttime. Zechariah is doing what you should be doing at night, sleeping, getting some rest. But he has a vision in the night. Now here's the difference between a dream and a vision. It's just as simple. He wakes up. God wakes him up and he begins to see things in the spirit. And he has this vision. And we're going to look at this whole vision this morning. That's really one vision with eight parts or eight different visions, however you want to describe it. And and in every part of this vision, he sees certain conditions that are described. And, 
And side by side with those conditions, what he sees are, are, are facts that the Lord begins to declare to him that the average person cannot see. He says, this is what is seen on one level, but let me show you what is seen on another level. Something that the average person can't see, Zechariah. And so what the Lord begins to show him in the vision is the, just what I would call the pervasive power of the Lord of hosts. That God's power is moving in and through everything. He's pervasive. He's omnipresent. We, omnipresent, we say of the Lord. Meaning, yeah, he's everywhere. His power is everywhere. It's permeating and penetrating everything like an aroma to draw people to him. You know, we often believe that, that God is working in the background. I was thinking about this this week as I was just considering this text. I often think, you know, God's at work in the background. And then as I was just considering that, I, I, I began to just feel like the Lord was saying to me, no, no, no. I work in the foreground. The problem is you're often in the background. And I thought, oh, God, I get it so backwards. You're in the foreground. You're at work. And so as Zechariah has these visions about the pervasive power of God that is working in their situation, as they're seeking to rebuild the temple, even after 15 years of of taking a break, the, the Lord begins to just demonstrate that, that the Lord of hosts, he's sovereign. That the Lord of hosts is speaking and that the Lord of hosts supplies. That he provides, that he brings provision for his people. Provision. That, that word provision, the, you know, the, the prefix pro, it means to be for something. Think about that. I, I, when I th- say the word provision, I often think about God's supply, but it's provision. God is for his people having vision. Look at my ability to supply. Have vision. And so the, let's, let's check this out. We're going to move through these fast, okay? And so we'll try and get this, this bird's eye view. And so in verse 8, it says this. I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen, and behind him were red, sorrel, and white horses. Then I said, what are these, my Lord? The angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, these are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, we have patrolled the earth. And behold, all the earth remains at rest. Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah against which you have been angry these 70 years? And the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. So the angel who talked with me said to me, cry out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. And I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For while, for, for while I was angry but a little, they furthered the disaster. Therefore, says the Lord of hosts, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem Cry out again, thus says the Lord of hosts. My city shall overflow with prosperity and the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. Crazy kind of vision. It's just like more and more of this as we go through Zechariah. What he sees is that there's four horses and each has a rider on them. Two of the horses are red, one is sorrel and and one is white. And the first horse that is mentioned has a man seated on it and he is seated back amongst the myrtle trees. And the other three horses are going uh, throughout the earth and they're coming back to him and they're reporting to him the conditions that are on the earth. Now here's the cool part. Verse 11 identifies the man who is amongst the trees. It's no other than the angel of the Lord. Now that's a really cool thing because in the scriptures that's called something uh, called a Christophany. It's an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. He's often called the angel of the Lord. You'll see, you'll see it there. He's all throughout these, these visions of Zechariah. 
That's why this is an amazing, amazing book as we're going to see as we move through it, just how much Jesus is seen uh, in, in the midst here. And so this is an Old Testament appearance of the second person of the Trinity. And so Zechariah is having, having this vision and there is this angel with whom he is speaking. There's an angel with whom he's talking to. This angel's interpreting to him and he's asking the angel's questions. But there's also another angel that he's observing in what he's seeing and that's the angel of the Lord. Jesus amongst the myrtle trees. And Zechariah and his attending angel basically are like the audience to a conversation that is happening between the angel of the Lord Jesus and the Lord of hosts, the Father. The Father and the Son are speaking and Zechariah is watching this whole thing go down. And here the horses are patrolling the earth and they come and they report the condition of the earth to Jesus and they say this, we've patrolled the earth and the earth is at rest. The, the earth is at rest. The nations are at rest. Which is kind of a strange contrast when you think about what's going on with Jerusalem in the context here. The exiles have come back. Their city is in ruins. The temple is nothing more than a foundation in the ground. They're living amongst a, a charred, blackened, burnt city and trying to carve out a life and build homes for themselves. And it's a city in ruins. The house of God no more than a foundation. And as we know, the people were discouraged. They'd lost sense of hope. They were intimidated into stopping the work on the, on the house of the Lord. And so the angel of the Lord, Jesus, asked the Lord of hosts, the Father, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah against you, whom you have been angry these 70 years? Now I love this because I think that's an amazing glimpse into the heart of Jesus right there. The hardened ministry of Jesus, whom we call our great high priest, who lives forever to intercede for, for us. You know, what's Jesus doing right now? Where is he right now? He's at the right hand of the Father making intercession for his people. That, that's one of the, the unseen benefits of being part of the kingdom of God. Remember Simon? Simon, Simon. Satan's asked to sift you, but I've prayed for you. And here again, we see Jesus, Lord of hosts. How long will you have no mercy? He's asking his father to have mercy on the city of Jerusalem. And how did the Lord of hosts answer the angel of the Lord? How does the father respond to the intercessions of the son? With gracious and comforting words, just like we read here. The father, the Lord of hosts, spoke with gracious and comforting words. And he said this, now's the time. The time's now. Now's the time for mercy and compassion. I'm jealous for Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the Lord says, I'm, I'm going to stay my hand. I'll return with mercy. Stretch out the measuring line. He says, get it. Get the surveyor's tape and begin to stretch it out because we're going to start a work again. My house shall be built and my cities, they're going to overflow with prosperity. And so the vision told to Zechariah is this, now is the time to build the house of the Lord. You know, I would say this, it's like the people are almost living, you know, in a, in a shady place. And what they don't know is that there's someone who's watching. There's a, there's a watchman. There's one who's interceding, the angel of the Lord Jesus. And the people were conscious of the fact that they were living in the midst of a time when things were not clear. What they were not conscious of was the fact that there was a watchman looking out over them. The Lord Jesus. Jesus, the watchman, is unveiled in this vision. And the Father's heart is unveiled that he is gracious and compassionate. And the truth of God's word is true to you and me. Just like it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? There is one who lives forever to intercede on our behalf. One who's graven you know, our names and the scars on his hands. The son Jesus. And so, Zechariah sees these things. You think this is going on, but in the midst, Jesus is watching over. He's interceding on your behalf and God is about to pour out grace upon you. Check out verse 18. We'll keep cruising. The second vision, a vision of horns and a craftsman. And craftsmen. 
Zechariah says, and I lifted my eyes and saw and behold four horns. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these? And he said to me, these are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. And I said, what are these coming to do? And he said, these are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one raised his head. And these have come, in other words, the craftsmen have come to terrify them, to cast down the horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah and to scatter it. And so firstly, Zechariah sees these four horns. In the scripture, a, a horn is a, it's like the horn of an animal, of a goat or a ram. A horn is a, is a picture of the nations and a picture of world powers. And so four of them. So whether this, I don't know, refers historically to the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Persians and the Egyptians who had scattered the people or whether it points to the four you know, corners of the compass, whatever it is, uh, he sees these four horns and then he sees a power that is coming to terrify the four horns that will terrify the nations that have scattered the people of Judah. And what is the power? It's some craftsmen. It's the power of the carpenter. And in other words, you know the Lord's saying this, we're, we're going to get on with rebuilding the temple. And those craftsmen are going to terrify the world as people watch that temple go up. And the Lord, you know, uh, you, you know what it says in the scripture, the Lord actually compares, it's an interesting picture, the Lord compares his, his word to a hammer. Jeremiah 23 verse 29 says, it's not my word like a hammer that goes out and breaks rocks to pieces. You know, I just think about this when, when we're dealing with the enemy. The weapon you need to use against the horn of the enemy is the hammer of the word. It's interesting. You know, God doesn't say you need weapons to take them down. You need a craftsman to take them down. You don't need soldiers to take down these enemies. You need craftsmen to take them down. And all the powers of hell can't stand against a person who will use the hammer of God's word in their life. And so the second vision is about opposing forces and weapons being formed against the people of God. It, it's also about forces at work that the craftsmen that will destroy the opposing work of the enemy. And the people were conscious of the fact that there were weapons formed against them, but they were not conscious of the reality of, of the forces that would destroy those weapons. And this was unveiled. You think about this, it's an interesting picture. What do you mean the powers of the world are defeated by a carpenter? Wow. Yeah, they are. A carpenter who came from the city of Nazareth, Jesus. And this tells us, what, what the Lord is telling Zechariah is this. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue which rises in judgment shall be condemned. You know, I love uh, something I read from Spurgeon. You know, he always just says it so eloquently, so I'll just default and read him this morning. And he said this, I love this. He said, if you want to open an oyster, you can't use a razor. For some works there, there need less of daintiness and more of force. Providence does not find clerks or architects or gentlemen to cut off horns, but carpenters. The work needs a man who, when he has work to do, puts his whole strength into it and beats away with his hammer or cuts through the wood that lies before him with might and main. Let us not fear for the cause of God. When the horns become too troublesome, there are carpenters forthcoming. Isn't that good? God calls us to be carpenters. It'd be people. Use the hammer of his word in the midst of whatever power comes against us. They, shall prosper. they won't prosper. Who shall come against us when God is for us? That's Zechariah's second vision. And we come to chapter two. Vision number three. A vision of a man with a measuring line. Verse one says this. And I lifted my eyes and saw and behold a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then I said, where are you going? And he said to me to measure Jerusalem and to see its width and what is its length. And behold... The angel who talked with me came forward and another angel came forward to meet him and said, run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls. 
because of the multitude of the people and the livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire around, declares the Lord, and I will be glory in her midst. Verse 6. Up, up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon, for thus says the Lord of hosts. After his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you, for he who touches you touches the apple of my eye. Behold, I will shake my hand over them and they shall become plunder for those who serve them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and they shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent all flesh before the Lord for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Remember Jerusalem's rubble. It's a city that's destroyed. I mean, people are living in the midst of that. And yet, you know, in, in all their discouragement, looking around and saying, oh man, look at this place. There's so much work to do. There's just so much to be done. And we don't have defenses and there's so few of us. And how are we going to get the work of the Lord done? And so in this third vision, what happens is, is that Zechariah sees the city. And he sees a young man who's so interested in the city that he desires to to measure it, to survey it, to, to measure the boundaries of the, the city. And Zechariah sees that the city itself actually has no walls. And it's because, first of all, that the growth of the city is so large and so rapid that they can't keep up. They can't get a wall to go around the outside of it. And second, because the Lord says, you don't need a wall. I'm your defense. I'm the wall of fire around you. You see a ruined city, the Lord says. But what I see is a city without walls that's flourishing and growing. You got to have my vision, the Lord says. What I'm going to do. I love that he, that he calls them the apple of his eye. The apple of his eye. You know, your eye is the most sensitive part of your body, right? It's like you don't have a quicker reflex than like sometimes I'm blown away something's coming towards your eye and you're just like so fast you you dodge out of the way or your your eye blinks to protect itself and I'll tell you what the the quickest reflex of the Lord is when people touch the apple of his eye this morning I was like I was just I was just praying I was in my office and I was feeling hungry praying about this just our service this morning and I, I went to grab an apple. It was on my desk. And as I brought it to my mouth, I just felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And he said, you're so afraid. Why are you afraid? You're the apple of my eye. And it was just this neat little moment that I had with the Lord this morning as we were going over things. And, and this is what God says of his people. You're, you're the apple of my eye. You want to see my reflexes function? Let somebody mess with my people. It's interesting in verse 10, look at what it says again. It says, sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I will come and dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. You see that? It's that capital L-O-R-D. It's Jehovah, Yahweh. He says, I'm going to come and I'm going to dwell in your midst. But look at the second half of verse 11. It's very interesting. I will dwell in your midst and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Yahweh says, I'm going to come and live amongst you and you'll know Yahweh sent me to you. The, the second person of the Trinity, the Son, saying, the Father will send me to you. I'm coming to dwell in your midst and you'll know the Father sent me. It's a great picture. You know, I think about this, this, this city and them wondering what God is doing, how they're going to rebuild. And the truth is this, you know, we, we place limits that God has never designed around ourselves. We box, box ourselves in, box, box in the church, box in, you know, the ministry. You go, oh, no, I don't know. You know, we, we just limit. And the surveyor stretches out his line, the Lord, and he says, there's no limits. 
There's no limits to what I can do. A city without walls. You know, David said this. He said, I won't be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me. For thou, O Lord, are a shield about me. You're my glory and you're the lifter of my head. You know, I just say to you this morning, remember to realize that that God is between you and everything. He's the wall that surrounds you. You know, so often I get that, I get that mixed up. You get that mixed up. We go, oh, my circumstances, the circumstances has got between me and God. This situation got between me and God. Some people have that happen in their lives. They just put whatever's going on with them between themselves and God. And it's far wiser to do this. Put God between yourself and the circumstance. He's the wall. And so Zechariah, the Lord would say this, the people's vision for the city is too small. It's too small. God says, I'll be the wall. You don't need a wall. When when the city expands, you're not going to need a wall because I'm going to defend this place. You think that you're not safe and you don't understand. I'm a wall of fire around you. And so the people were conscious. They They were conscious of the city and its imperfections, but they were not conscious of this, that God was their defender. He was the defender of the city and the splendor would come. And so the Lord unveiled that to Zechariah. Then he has another vision, chapter three. Told you we're gonna move fast. We're gonna go all the way to chapter six this morning. A vision of Joshua, the high priest. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I have taken away your iniquity from you. And I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed them with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua. Thus says the Lord of hosts. If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge. Then you shall rule over my house and have charge of my courts. And I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are assigned. Behold, I will send my servant the branch. For behold, on that stone that I have set before Joshua on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. So the next vision is this, is that he sees Joshua. Now Joshua was the high priest amongst the the people of Israel. He was their spiritual leader. And as he sees him, he's standing there and he's in filthy garments and the adversary is there. The Satan is there. But there's also an advocate there. The the angel of the Lord, Jesus, is there. And the people were conscious, I would say, of the fact that they were battling an adversary. But what they were not conscious of was the reality of the advocate that was there on their behalf. He was unveiled. You You think about the building of the house of the Lord and this task that's before the people of Israel. You know, whenever something significant is about... To happen, what does Satan do? He, when something significant is going to happen for the kingdom of God, Satan tries to stop it. He, he tried to kill every male in Egypt so that you know, my, Moses wouldn't survive and the people would never get out of Egypt. He killed all the babies at Bethlehem so that he could try and murder Jesus when he was born. He didn't want that baby to grow up and to rescue God's people. And, and, and here he, he says... And here he says that the Jerusalem cannot have Joshua. You can't have Joshua as your leader. Look at him. He's a dirty man. He's filthy. He's covered with past sins. 
He's covered with the, the sins of his nation. And, and Zechariah sees him there. He sees the high priest standing there in these filthy clothes. And, and he recognizes, he can see that Satan is right. Look at him, he's filthy. But then the Lord said to the Lord, the, the Father and the Son begin to have this conversation again. Jesus begins to advocate for Joshua. And Jesus said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. And then by God's grace, Zechariah saw Joshua and, and his clothes are changed. He's clean and he's standing in the presence of God and he, he can be a priest. And, and the Lord says this, what I can do for Joshua, I can do for all men. Just like I took his dirty clothes and I made him clean, I can do that for anyone. I can do that for a whole nation. The Lord says, in fact, in a day, I'll remove the sin of, in one day, I'll remove the sin of the land. We know what day that was. The day of the cross. The day Jesus gave his life on the cross. He removed the sin of the land in a single day. And he said this, many will come and they will join my people. Many will come. That's you and I. You know, it's an amazing picture that God, that God can clean up a person and he can make them a priest. He can make them, God can take any person and make them one who serves him. You know, are you a brand that's been plucked from the fire just like Joshua? Plucked from the fire? Has God snatched you from destruction, from the jaws of the lion, from the gates of hell? You know, this is proof that he'll, that when, that's proof that he will finish his work in you. He'll complete his work. Let Satan try his worst. God will not deny himself. His word says, he whom he has called, he is justified, and he whom he has justified, he will glorify. Let, say, let the enemy try his worst. Yes, there's an adversary, but Zechariah, there's an advocate. He's standing right there advocating on your behalf. Then the fifth vision, check it out, chapter 4. A vision of a golden lampstand. You guys with me? Isn't this interesting? I hope it is. Hope you're with me. Verse 1. And the angel who talked with me came and came again and woke me. Like a man who was awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? And I, I said, I see and behold a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered me and said, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of joy. Grace to it, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These are the seven eyes of the Lord, which range throughout the whole earth. Then I said to him, what are these two olive trees on the right and on the left of the lampstand? And a second time I answered and said to him, what are these two branches of the olive trees, which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? And he said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. Then he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. And so this fifth vision, now Zechariah begins to get sleepy. It says that the angel had to wake him up. He had to be woken from sleep again so that he could see what was going on. And he sees Zerubbabel. He's just seen Joshua, the high priest. Now he sees Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel is the political leader of the people. He's led all the exiles back to Jerusalem. And Zechariah sees this. He sees a, a lamp, a golden lampstand, like the one that stood in the temple and it, and it has this supply of oil. That's, it's got pipes 
that come right straight from olive trees, right straight into the lampstand, and there's this perpetual supply of oil. Nobody's got to mess with it. You don't have to trim the wick. You don't have to relight the lamps. You don't have to put new oil in it because there's a perpetual supply, an unending supply of oil. And this symbolizes that the leader of the people, uh, Zerubbabel, is someone who has a, a reservoir of the Spirit of God being poured into him. We know that. Oil, oil is a symbol of God's Holy Spirit. Zerubbabel, the Lord is saying, he's my anointed. And then comes these verses that we know so well. Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. This means not by, not by military power. You're not going to rebuild this city by military power. You're, you're not going to rebuild this city by being political and playing all of those games. This city is going to be rebuilt by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's a tragedy, I think, when we get this wrong. You know, you cannot establish the kingdom of God by military power. The kingdom of God cannot be established by political power. I'm so thankful for that because I look around the world and I go, I don't understand politics, man. What the heck is going on? I don't even know who's leading this province anymore, let alone the rest of the world, right? It's like, it's, it's a wonderful thing to know that God's kingdom does not rely on political power or military might, but his spirit. And so, you never fear. I don't care who leads this, pro this province. Because I know who sits on the throne, right? And the world functions that whole way. And so Zerubbabel, here he is. Um, Zacharias sees that Zerubbabel is actually the one. It's a very neat picture that he laid the cornerstone for the foundation of the temple. Now the works ceased for 15 years. But the Spirit of God says this. Zerubbabel laid the cornerstone, but I'll tell you what else he's going to do. He's going to put the capstone in place. With his own hands, he will set the capstone. You're looking at the city and you see rubble. You got no hope. You're wondering how this is going to happen. I am telling you, by my power, he will set the capstone in its place. It's an exciting picture, really, of this, the spirit-empowered life. To be Holy Spirit-empowered. And this is a vision, I would say, of responsibility. It's like the people of God are called to be a light. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. You're called to be a light shining in darkness. And this vision revealed that there is a source for you and I to shine. It's oil. A perpetual supply of oil that comes from the Spirit of God. And the people were conscious of their, their responsibility. Oh, there's this task in front of us. There's this job. You and I have the same thing. Oh, we got to be the light of the world. But the Lord wants us to know. There's a perpetual supply that comes from me. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Lord says, there's no need to despise the day of small things. I was thinking about Brian and Phil up there doing the church plant in Kamloops. There's no need to despise the day of small things. Where God guides, God provides. Like he's going to work this out. We're going to just watch. Very cool. Zechariah asked twice. He says, there's, there's two trees that stand to the right and left that are bringing supply. What, what, what are those? Who are those, he says. Historically, they're, they're Joshua and Zerubbabel, but symbolically, we know who they are. They're, they're Jesus. It's Jesus and the Holy Spirit. They, they, they supply you and I all the time. Those, those two parts of the Godhead, those two persons of the Godhead, supplying us, supplying us. Then Zechariah has another vision, a vision of a flying scroll. He says in chapter 5, Again I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a flying scroll. And he said to me, What do you see? And I answered, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits and its uh, width is 10 cubits. That's, that's 30 feet by 15 feet. Verse 3, then he said to me, this is the curse that goes out over the, whole face of the land, over the face of the whole land. For everyone who steals shall be cleaned out according to what is on one side. And everyone who swears falsely shall be cleaned out according to what is on the other side. I will send it out, declares the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter the house of the thief 
and the house of him who swears falsely by my name, and it shall remain in his house and consume it, both timbers and stone. So here's this scroll. Now he sees a scroll. It's flying over the whole land. Looks like a magic carpet in my mind. That's what I see. Over the homes of the people. And there's words written on either side of the scroll. The, the third commandment and the eighth commandment. A lot of guys say this. They say, I think it represents the whole of the law. It's like the middle of the first tablet and the middle of the second tablet. And as it travels over the homes of the people, it, it hovers over the house of someone who is stealing. It hovers over the house of someone who is, is lying. And the scroll, the word of God, begins to consume that house. It puts a curse on it, it says. A curse drops from the the scroll and the, the house is destroyed. And Zechariah is simply told this. Very simply. God will curse those who are stealing and telling lies. I think about the people of God in this situation. There were those who were telling lies about them. Cursing them. Those who stood against them were writing letters back to Babylon. Saying this work should cease. These people are doing this. You know I think about our lives. Often the problem in our lives is. Not the need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but to be emptied of sin. We need to seek the power of the Spirit, but there are times when we wonder why, you know, God's Spirit isn't moving, and the reality is, is we need to clean out the house. Remove the wickedness. And so in this sixth vision, Zechariah sees the presence of evil and God applying his law to that. I think we said this last week that God's law always catches up to evil. Evil thinks it's getting away. God's law always reels it in. And the people were conscious of the, the presence of evil, but they were not conscious of the fact that God was administrating his word, his, his law, and that was unveiled. Then the seventh vision, a vision of a woman in a basket. Verse 5, Then the angel who talked with me came forward and said to me, Lift your eyes and see what this is that is going out. And I said, what is it? He said, this is the basket that is going out. And he said, there is iniquity in all the land. And behold, the leaden cover was lifted and there was a woman sitting in the basket. And he said, this is wickedness. And he thrust her back into the basket and thrust down the leaden weight on its opening. Then I lifted my eyes and saw and behold, two women coming forward. The wind was in their wings. They had wings like the wings of a stork and they lifted up the basket between heaven and earth. Then I said to the angel who talked with me, where are they taking the basket? He said to me to the land of Shinar to build a house for it. And when this is prepared, they will set the basket down there on its base. I think this is funny because you don't expect to find a woman in a basket, do you? <laughs> I think about, you know, Pharaoh's daughter. Oh, look, there's a basket in the river. See what's in it. And there's like a baby floating in there. It's like you don't expect to find a baby in a basket. You don't expect to find, at least not floating in a river. You don't expect to find a, a, a woman wickedness in the basket. And here she is, though. There's this leaden cover holding her down. She's wickedness. And uh, two women with the wings of storks come and, fly down, pick it up, and they take this basket off to the land of the east, to Shinar, which is Babylon. And uh, I go, well, what the heck? What's going on here? What's the, what's the basket? Well, it, it represents that which the people brought back with them from, from Babylon, that there was a materialism in the heart of the people, that they had been commercialized, that, that the commercial and Material life of the people had deeply been saturated into them. They become, the people of God become a material people, a commercialized people. And there was an alliance in that, the Lord says, with wickedness. There's a wickedness about that. You know, when you think of materialism, when you think of the commercialization of our culture, don't you think? It's like, oh, there's something that's just woven into it, this wickedness, and we're like fighting against it. All, all the time. There's wickedness in the basket. And so the vision is, is a picture that God says, I'm going to take that away. I'm going to take that wickedness away to the land of Babylon. God is saying, I, I took sinners there. 
and I'm going to take sin there. I'm going to take it there because that's where it belongs. Babylon, that's the place of sin. And wickedness can be strongly entrenched, but you know the cool thing is, is that God says, I keep a lid on it. You go, yeah, it's so, it's so wicked, and it's, but you don't realize, I, I've kept a lid on this thing all the way along. And, and I'm going to come, not am I going to just keep a lid on it, but I'm going to remove it for the sake of my people. Do you, you sigh and kind of cry about the, the sin in your life? Maybe some terrible form of it that's like cursed you and you're like, oh, I can't beat this thing in my life. Feels like it alienates you from God and has victory over you and you wish it could be eliminated. I, I would say this to you. Be encouraged by this vision. Lift up your eyes and see him who's, who sends help, who will carry it away. God's willing and to, to set you free and deliver you. And so the seventh vision is one of the, the pollution of sin's corruption, the pollution of materialism and commerce, but it's also the restriction of its influence. God keeps a lid on it, and the people were conscious of this pollution, but they weren't conscious of the fact that God was actually holding things back on their behalf and was going to remove it. And so that was unveiled. And then we come to the last vision, Zechariah chapter 6. A vision of four chariots. Again, I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four chariots came out from between two mountains, and the mountains were made, were mountains of bronze. I was thinking about this. We were singing this this morning. We were singing Ron Lettuce and singing about the mountain of the Lord. I was picturing this mountain of bronze as we were singing that. It's a picture of strength. The first chariot had red horses. The second had black horses, the third white horses, and the fourth chariot dappled horses, all of them strong. Then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? And the angel answered me and said to me, these are going out to the four winds of heaven after presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. The chariot with the black horses goes towards the north country the white ones go after them and the dappled ones go to the south country. When the strong horses came out, they were impatient to go and patrol the earth. And he said, go patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth. Then he cried to me, behold, those who go toward the north country have set my spirit at rest in the north country. So this final part of the vision, uh, four chariots, with red, black, white, and dappled horses, they go throughout all the earth. They're doing the will of the Lord. And there's one that isn't sent out because we read here that he's finished his work. The one that's gone to the north has finished its work. It's work in Babylon. So the one chariot is having a rest, but the other three are going throughout the world and they're doing the will of God. And we know this is that God, that God has a worldwide control of history. His agents are everywhere. You know, when you think of his kingdom, his agents are everywhere. And the eighth vision is, is one of protection and deliverance. The chariots of God are going to and fro, and they are bringing assistance to the people of God. This eighth vision is one for, I guess, the, the need the need for God to, or the need for God's people to sense his administration, his governance. The spirit of God's government. The horsemen from the mountains of brass are riding through the world and they're establishing order. Mountains of brass, they're coming from a place of strength and a place of power and a place of judgment. That's what those mountains of brass are. They're a picture of God's strength and his judgment. And the people were... You know, we're aware of the need for there to be a management on the earth. Don't you think that? You look around, like I said, I was joking about the political system. We look around, we go, well, there's a need for a management on this, some sort of governance that makes sense. In, in the vision, it's revealed to Zechariah. You have to be conscience, conscious of the spirit of God's government. 
the kingdom of God that is a reality. Not in the background, but the foreground. And that was unveiled. You, know, you think about Jesus and what was prophesied about him. The government will be on his shoulders. And so this eight visions of Zechariah and their entirety was really to show the people that, that the Lord was with them. That the Lord was moving amongst them. That the Lord was removing their sin from them. That he was destroying the systems of this world that had polluted them. That he was going to bring his judgment and his rule and his government on the earth. And in reality of these visions of Zechariah, he became consciously aware of the presence and working of the Lord of hosts that is pervasive. That's in everything for the glory of his name. The Lord is exactly what his people need when they need it in every and every situation. In every place of need, the Lord of hosts is a fortress of hope. Zechariah, tell the people that. You know, I'd say to you this morning, are you standing in a shady place? He's watching over you. You know our weapons being formed against you? He is the force that breaks the power of those weapons. Do you feel like a city without defenses? Oh, enemy's just ravaging me. He is the wall of fire that surrounds you. Is the adversary there accusing you? You have an advocate defending you. Is the responsibility too heavy? There is an unending source of strength in the Holy Spirit. Do you look around and say evil is present everywhere? Well, know this. The word of God catches up to evil. The law, uh, the evil will bow to the law of God, to the word of God. Is commerce polluted? The system of this world, the materialism, the commercialism? God's putting a lid on it and he's going to get it right out of here one day. Is there a need for governance, management, administration? He is sending forth his riders all throughout the earth from the mountains of brass and he's bringing forth his government. You know, Zechariah was a man who was living amongst people in great difficulty. They were disappointed, you know. They were disillusioned. There was another de-desolation. And Zechariah saw this. God is at work everywhere. He's at work everywhere. He's at work everywhere. I can run to him. He's a fortress of hope. I, I don't have any need not to have hope. Because he is administrating his kingdom over this whole earth. Whatever I think I'm seeing, he is unfolding his plans. Amen?